0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Health Conscious Podcast. Our second episode of the New Year 2021. I'm Peyton Eisner joined here with my co-host Christian Taji. Christian, how are you doing?
1: I am doing well and excited for this episode.
0: Yeah, we've got a definitely a, a special guest today. Uh, but first Christian and I would like to dedicate this podcast to a dear friend of ours that unfortunately passed away very recently, Chris Rogers. Chris was actually instrumental in this episode, was present when we recorded it initially, uh, and helped organize our guest for this episode. So we'd really like to honor him today.
1: Yeah, he, we wouldn't have had this episode if it weren't for him and his generosity and opening up his network and his connections with us. Uh, Chris has been a, a friend of mine for some time. Um, we we met at, at our program's MHA Visit Day, and we've swapped calls ever since. Uh, you know, as an undergrad, he's always been very interested in and and me and my graduate degree program and my internships and things like that. And so we, you know, we had a a string of calls where he'd call and ask advice and he always seemed so put together that I would always feel like I needed to ask him for him for advice. Um, Just such a sharp, bright, kind, um, kind friend of ours and the uh, young healthcare leadership um, group is feeling a loss today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Chris, was one of the nicest, most dedicated people that I've met, um, always 10 steps ahead of the of the ball game um, and always looking forward. Um, Chris passed away on January 13th in Seaside Park, New Jersey. He was a student and had just recently graduated from the University of Connecticut in December which, with a bachelor's degree in healthcare management and a minor in analytics in the honors program. Graduated with a 4.0 GPA, and was the president of his university's Healthcare Management Society, as well as the International Business Association. He was always on an adventure, traveled alone to Iceland and across the US by himself solo just to see the world. He was a naturalist sharing his immense love for animals in the outdoors and an avid sportsman. In his high school years, he played varsity soccer, ran track and cross country, and was the high school's track team captain. He continued to maintain his athleticism, even beyond that, working out regularly, spending time investing in bodybuilding, hiking, etc. And despite his accomplishments and achievements at such a young age, he remained humble and respectful, only hoping to help others reach their goals and find their path. He will be dearly missed by those who knew him and those he touched, and his memory will remain through sharing his stories about his accomplishments, adventures, and charismatic moments. Today we have Tracy Scrava. She is the Chief Privacy Officer at CVS. um, And she was formerly the Vice President and Chief Privacy Officer over at Aetna before the merger um, and currently, and she also has worked as a Senior Privacy and Security Legal Counsel at Aetna as well for over 10 years. She received several degrees from the University of Connecticut, including a Bachelor of Science in Healthcare Management a BS in health systems management, an MPH, and a JD. Um, so she has done it all. Proud UConn fan over there. So we're super excited about this episode. We think it's going to be really enlightening and kicking off a new phase of the Health Conscious Podcast. So we'll kick it over to Tracy. All right. Well, we're here with Tracy. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. So we just went over a formal introduction of you a little bit, but we'd love if you could explain a little bit more about your backgrounds in your own words, um, going from an MPH to a JD and now working at privacy. uh, Can you explain how you got to this point in, in your journey here?
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. I'm proud to say that I have a triple University of Connecticut degree. I have them hanging proudly on my wall. Uh, And I started off at the UConn School of Business majoring in what was called at the time health systems management. And I really didn't know what the program was about. I knew it was part of the School of Business and I knew I had always been interested in the world of healthcare. So I enrolled in that program at UConn um, and really enjoyed the healthcare aspects of it. Of course it was the School of Business so it had all of the core business courses that you would expect. Um, but I decided after getting my undergraduate degree that I wanted to continue and further my education in the healthcare field. And I had contemplated medical school, decided in the end it wasn't for me and ended up obtaining a dual degree in law and public health. And that was after working for about eight years in the insurance industry. I went back and got my dual degree, uh, my MPHJD. And I think pulling together the business, the public health, and legal aspects of healthcare has been not only an amazing experience, but one that I would recommend to anyone that is looking to make an impact on the future state of healthcare in this country and, quite frankly, around the world. Um, bringing all of those skill sets together, whether it's my educational experience, and background and my hands-on work experience has certainly come in handy during something like a global pandemic, which is what we're dealing with right now. All three of those things have really collided and uh, helped as we try to get through this pandemic together.
0: Yeah, that's a great story. And I think one thing that Christian and I have heard a lot of on this podcast is people who go into healthcare Um, typically find their way there through a lot of different means, a lot of different pathways, but they always have the same passion, um, which is really great to hear you um, speak about that a little bit more. Um, Before we jump into more questions specific about your industry with Christian, we'd love to hear about kind of some current projects you're working on. What does your day-to-day look like um, every day at CVS? Um, And what is the intersectionality between your departments and other departments um, at the system as well?
2: Yeah, great questions. Uh, Before I answer the question, I'll preface it by saying that I have a team of about 55 privacy professionals that help execute on all the projects I'm going to talk about and they make me look really good every day. Uh, So a lot of our work is currently involved with COVID-19 as you might expect, CVS Health uh, is leading the charge in a lot of ways uh, in responding to COVID-19 Our strategy is to help individuals on their path to better health. And so a lot of what the company is doing, including the privacy office, is executing on our COVID-19 strategy. Uh, So a lot of that work uh, comes up every day, as well as responding to an increasing body of regulations related to data privacy. So to give you an example of even just my day today, I started off with an appointment with my executive coach, which is a wonderful thing to have. uh, Someone that helps me with my executive presence and coaches me on different ways to interact with other leaders within the company uh, and also in leading a team. Uh, I think that leadership is immensely important when you are uh, working on initiatives such as the initiatives we're working on. People are moving fast people are working really hard. And so having a good leader uh, at the top of the organization is is really, really important to me. So I I try to hone in on those skills as much as I can. So I started off with my executive coach this morning, which is always a great way to start your day. Uh, And then I quickly pivoted to helping with a privacy breach response. Uh, So as you can imagine in the world of healthcare, and I know we're probably gonna talk about this a little bit later, Uh, We do have instances where either we or our third parties have uh, a privacy incident, which requires us to respond uh, to our members and our regulators. Uh, So I worked on that a little bit this morning. I then consulted on privacy regulations that are implicated by a lot of our employees wanting to work remotely in other countries during COVID 19. I I hear that's a trend out there these days. Uh, And so there are regulatory implications that come into play uh, when people start working in other countries and how their data is flowing from one country to the other. Uh, And then after this podcast, I'll likely get off the phone and talk to folks about uh, privacy related issues that are going to, that we're anticipating may come up in relation to the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, So it is fast paced, every day is different but I can tell you that most of my days involve a lot of strategic thinking and enabling the business to deliver on our strategy in a way that does not compromise the privacy of our patients, our members, our customers, and our employees. Some days involve my crisis management skills to kick up a notch. Um, There seems to be all different levels of crises in the world of privacy and some are small crises and others can rise to a, a different level Uh, But I would say every day is certainly fun, and there is no uh, better time or or time that I could say that I am learning something different every day than now um, with the pandemic. And there's not a playbook for a lot of what companies are dealing with, including our own company. Um, And so in the privacy space, there are issues coming up every day that none of us have ever had to face, uh, which makes it both challenging and incredibly interesting.
1: Excellent, Tracy. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing a little bit about your day and your background. Um, you mentioned that we may dive into uh, some some industry specific questions, and we're going to do that for the next section of the podcast. So, our listeners uh, on this podcast are aspiring healthcare leaders, right? And they 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 they, they are both consumers of healthcare patients, and they're going to be aspiring leaders in the space as well. Would you mind addressing? the biggest risks to, uh, to, to an individual's privacy and in healthcare, both as a consumer and at the organizational corporate level?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, we're all consumers of healthcare. So I love that question. And I think we should all be aware of the fact that you know, we all have a very high risk, just generally speaking, of our health information being compromised. Uh, As uh, many of you may know, there have been a lot of stories in the news recently where the healthcare system has really been under attack. Uh, Ransomware attacks are almost pervasive at this point when it comes to health information and hospital systems, and I think the threat actors are really taking advantage, quite frankly, we keep coming back to this topic of COVID-19, but Um, taking advantage of the fact that our healthcare system is being really taxed by the pandemic and maybe not putting the same amount of resources into security, information security and other other ways to protect information. And so they're kind of, they're taking advantage of a a vulnerable situation. Uh, So I think all individuals and consumers of healthcare should be concerned about their health information being compromised Look, unlike your bank account or your credit card account where you can change the account numbers and obtain credit monitoring, for example, you cannot change your health information and your health profile. Uh, Your medical records are your medical records and you can't change that. You can't change your genetic makeup. Um, And so I would say that um, you have to assume that it's possible your information uh, could be out there and the best way to protect it is by making sure that you as an individual change your passwords often. The easiest way and the most common way for hackers to get your information, whether it be health information or otherwise, is by obtaining and using your password and your credentials. And so it is known that most humans use the same password across multiple platforms, uh, whether they be at work or on your mobile device, Uh, your banking information. Everyone uses the same password, nobody ever changes it. And it is very, very easy for these hackers to obtain those credentials and then use those credentials to get into other accounts, including accounts that may have health information. Um, So I would say that um, that's a a really great way um, to try to protect your information. From From a corporate perspective, one of the biggest threats to corporations is nation states trying to steal intellectual property. So that is a huge liability for most corporations. Again, we're seeing it today in the news about um, uh, certain countries trying to steal the intellectual property related to the COVID vaccine. Uh, So corporations really need to be vigilant in their security uh, programs around not only protecting health information or financial information of individuals, but also any intellectual property that the corporation may hold.
1: So uh, Tracy, thank you so much for, for that explanation about uh, you know risks, both at the individual level and at the corporate level as well. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about news that really shook healthcare on a deal that closed about two years ago, of course, the CVS set in the merger. I would love to hear a little bit more about some of the complexities around the merging the two uh, privacy teams, right, in terms of uh, two teams that may have had different compliance protocols, security teams, et cetera. Uh, what, what did merging those two teams look like?
2: Yeah, so it has been an interesting two years for sure, uh, merging two large healthcare companies. I think it was probably the biggest merger in healthcare history in our, co- in our country. Um, and the integration went, you um, and amazingly smooth. Um, and I think that was because both companies were already very highly regulated in the healthcare space. And so both companies had a culture of compliance. Uh, both companies had a very strong privacy program to start. Uh, so integrating them was not quite as hard or as difficult as I would have thought an integration of that size uh, could have been. That said, it has taken about two years to really integrate Uh, First, we had to integrate the people, then we had to integrate the processes, and now we're up to integrating. So we're doing a lot of inventory right now around the different types of technologies that we use within the Privacy Office to ensure we're being the most effective and obviously really efficient in the technological tools that we use for not only breach response, uh, but also for performing privacy risk assessments. And... um, doing different types of privacy reviews. Uh, Both legacy companies use different technologies for those things. And so I think when you uh, do integration of two large teams, looking at integrating the people, then the processes then the tools uh, has worked pretty effectively. Uh, But I could not have done any of that effectively if I had not done what I called my listening tour. Uh, So when I was named the Chief Privacy Officer of CVS Health, For the first 90 days in that role, I went on a listening tour, and what I did was I talked to every single individual within both legacy privacy offices, even the folks that had been working for me at Aetna for a very long time, and that's all I did. I listened. Uh, I asked some baseline questions about what was working well, what they thought uh, could change and really what I could do as their new leader to make things uh, better, not only for our patients and our customers, but also our own internal team. And so I didn't make any changes uh, for the first 90 days. And then after those 90 days, I started to um, reorganize and create um, different roles. I, I realized pretty quickly that we needed a data analyst within the privacy office so that we could start looking at data and um, data and metrics so that the decisions and the priorities that I was setting for the team was based on data. Uh, and I also noticed uh, or realized pretty quickly through my listening tour that we also needed to add a business project program manager to our team, because so many of the privacy initiatives that we have coming at us every day require intensive project management. And those were two skill sets that neither team had. Um, So I think the listening tour is something that I would recommend to anybody in a new leadership role. Uh, You will learn the most from the people on the front lines. And so listening to what everyone at every level within your organization has to say is critically important to setting yourself up for success in something like a large integration of two teams.
1: So it sounds like the the, the, the very successful integration was a function of both harnessing like hard skills, KPIs, performance, performance metrics, and the soft skills that you used in, in the listening tour. I'm, I'm really excited for the second half of the podcast where we talk a little bit more about professional development because you referenced some of your soft skills there, and also about, you know, using a uh, an executive coach, and I'm, I'm really excited to dive a little bit deeper into that but i wanted to dive into uh, you know you you referenced um different technologies that the two legacy companies harness um i wanted to ask a question related to electronic health records so you know a macro level trend that we're seeing is there are fewer vendors that have more market share in the ehr space does that present opportunity uh, for 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 a a more significant data breach or a safeguard uh, from data breaches if these you know specific vendors have beefier firewalls and safeguards in place? Or does the consolidation of records uh, present an opportunity? And perhaps this just this question shows how naive I am about this about this subject, but I uh, would love to hear a little bit about um, your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, you know, I think it probably the co- consolidation of of EHR, uh, and the interoperability of the EHR systems that are still out there. And we, we know that interoperability is a, is a huge uh, push right now at the federal level so that individuals that should have access to their, their health information do, in fact, get access to their health information. Uh, whether or not the consolidation of EHR actually increases or decreases the risk of a, of a security breach is a great question. Uh, I'm not sure that anyone knows what the answer to that really is. Um, I do think that having consolidation for purposes of consistency and uniformity, so that no matter where you go uh, for your healthcare, you have access to a consistent uh, platform and that your providers when they are treating you are able to have access to your medical records. So, you know, I think that the consolidation is going to be incredibly beneficial uh, on the front end from a treatment perspective and probably, in my opinion, outweighs any risk of increased um, uh, cyber uh, risk. I think that the the benefit on the front end from a treatment perspective and access perspective outweighs any increased risk from a cyber perspective.
1: Excellent. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for that. Um, and then just kind of one last question on this section of the podcast about kind of deep dive into, into privacy. So how do you, what, what are some communication tactics both for prevention of or privacy safety tactics from a consumer perspective? How do you communicate best practices to patients and consumers of healthcare, um, both kind of from a preventative, uh, Mm-hmm. from a preventative point of view, and also like when there's a breach, how do you communicate uh, that there was a, a breach of information?
2: Yeah, so on the safety front, we have a lot of information out on our website about how to best uh, safeguard your private health information. Uh, We remind people similarly to what I mentioned earlier about passwords, but also making sure that they're not giving their health information to an untrusted source. Um, Obviously, very, very um, uh, concerned about phishing and vishing with a V, uh, which is both email uh, scams as well as phone scams. So we have a lot of educational material out on our website. Our information security team does an excellent job of uh, security awareness for our customers and our consumers uh, on what not to do, like giving out information over the phone, uh, like your social security number, et cetera. Um, When there is the unfortunate situation of a breach, uh, we are required to notify individuals via letter. uh, And in that letter, we oftentimes will include information about how they may want to Uh, protect themselves going forward. In some breaches, we are required to offer credit monitoring. uh, So that information will be in the breach letter as to how they can activate credit monitoring. And if the breach notification does not require credit monitoring, we may still put into the letter ways in which people can help protect themselves um, from, from this happening. And so we try to do the best we can to make sure people are aware of the vulnerabilities out there and how they can best protect themselves. Um, Sometimes it's a little too late, uh, too little too late, I should say. Um, But I think in some ways, I think consumers have become unfortunately very used to receiving breach notification letters, whether it be from retailers or from health companies or healthcare providers Um, And I always tell others that I'm talking to that from a privacy perspective, right now, when it comes to reputational harm and risk, that it's not when you get breached, it's how you handle the response. So from a leadership perspective, um, I think we are all prepared with our incident response plans for this to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's when. And the most important thing is responding to the breach in a way that um, notifies your customers in a very transparent way and a way that helps them protect themselves going forward.
0: Yeah, I think you raised some fair points. I actually went out to the mail this morning and found a notification of a breach from my 2016 Dunkin' Donuts reward card, and I threw it in the trash. I was like, you know, I, that was four years ago. I don't even use Dunkin' Donuts Rewards anymore. Like, but now I'm going to have to take that more seriously because it's you. You don't think about it as much. So some great points there um, along the way. I do want to jump into a little bit about you know your career and professional development. Um, I feel like privacy is an area of an industry that is becoming increasingly more important and people haven't really considered it as a career opportunity um, until the last few years. What about the idea that the privacy industry interests you? Where along your path did you decide that healthcare privacy was something that you were interested in and wanted to pursue as a career? Yeah,
2: so there is so much about privacy Beyond even what I do day to day, that I find incredibly interesting, uh, whether it's you know, surveillance or um, geolocation and the tracking uh, that is happening at all different levels, um, you know, the invasion of privacy in some ways, and this, this fact that privacy is really a fundamental right in this country, uh, but yet there are all things that are know around the edges starting to erode in some ways that that fundamental right to privacy. And you know, I, I know I keep coming back to it, but I think that the, the pandemic has really brought some really interesting and and really deep privacy issues to light. The one that interests me the most and that I'm watching really closely is the contact tracing apps uh, that Google and Apple have been creating. Um, and where do you draw the line and when does it tip the scale uh, where the the public health outweigh, the public health interests really outweighs the, the privacy rights of individuals? Um, I think that, you know, that's just one example. Uh, and there have been plenty of other countries that have mandated the use of these contact tracing apps. But, you know, in the United States and um, you know, across the country, you know, that's not something that we're mandating because of the right to pri- the fundamental right to privacy uh, and the fact that we do not have um, the ability, nor you know, to to track where people are going. We grappled with it a little bit as an employer. Um, should we uh, require our employees to uh, sign up for a contact tracing app? And the answer in the end was no. Um, so I think there are just a lot of fundamental privacy rights that are um, continuing to be eroded, or at least around the fringes, start to be eroded when you start looking at the technology that exists today. we're all online every day, all day, um, being tracked if we don't turn off our cookies and uh, we don't, you know, click the button that says, please don't um, uh, serve up advertisements to me. um, You know, everybody knows more about us than we do. Uh, quite frankly, and so I think that's what has really uh, piqued my interest in privacy recently. Um, and I think as the um, as the pandemic plays out, and as technology continues to do what technology does, uh, whether it's the Internet of Things, our talk- talking coffee machines, our smart TVs, our smart cars, um, you know, this this issue of the fundamental right to privacy, and when we're willing to give it up is really interesting to me. Um, You know, we as consumers give up our right to privacy if we're getting something in return. Uh, And that means something different to everybody. When are you willing to give up some of your privacy to receive something in return? And when do you opt into or opt out of certain things because you feel that the benefit that you're receiving is outweighs you know your right to privacy. And so I think that piece of privacy really uh, interests me and that, that is something that that I really keep a, keep my eye on and, and stay um, engaged with. I read a lot about it. I think as a leader in a space, nothing is more important than reading. Uh, reading not only uh, you know daily, uh, you know I read the New York Times, Every day, I read the Washington Post. If I have time, I may may read a couple of other publications or at least the headlines in the publications. Uh, And I read a lot of books about um, artificial intelligence and what should we anticipate in the future when it comes to privacy.
0: Yeah, I think you did a great job of explaining why we should care about privacy, especially in a healthcare setting, but in our day-to-day lives, Facebook, Google, et cetera. if if there are students out there or, you know, people who are in a career that want to go about learning a lot more about privacy, what would you recommend they do? And do you feel like there are any, any common misconceptions that people have about privacy in healthcare as they go about learning more?
2: Yeah, so there are a couple of things I would recommend. First and foremost, there is the International Association of Privacy Professionals, or IAPP, that anybody can join and there are multiple certifications within IAPP that you can obtain uh, related to privacy. There are specialties in IT, uh, healthcare and and others. Uh, So that's a great place to start, even if you uh, just subscribe to their their website and get the articles, their their daily uh, newsfeed every day. I think that's a great place to start. Um, as far as other things that people can do, and, and maybe some misconceptions around privacy and healthcare, um, I think people think privacy is a compl- just a compliance job. And I say just a compliance job because a lot of people, I think, are hesitant to go into compliance. And what I would say is that privacy is so much more than compliance. It's really about being consumer obsessed and making sure that you are Uh, being transparent with your customers, your consumers, uh, that you are meeting their expectations in the data that you are collecting and using and disclosing. Uh, And it's really about establishing trust of your customer, your patient, your, um, your consumer. And so it's not just compliance. There certainly is a huge compliance component. I have a lot of folks on my team that work on privacy compliance day in and day out. I have a lot of lawyers on my team who are working on interpreting the new privacy regulations that are coming out or changes in the privacy regulations. But I I think people need to think about privacy and careers in privacy a lot more broadly than just legal and compliance. Privacy is built into or should be built into every business initiative uh, at a company. And that's something that we call in, in privacy terms privacy by design. So, whether you're going into a career in digital or a career in marketing or a career in finance or a career in human resources, you name it, every single function within a company should have a privacy mindset because every single function is using data in some way, shape, or form. And so, Privacy doesn't have to be privacy in the privacy office. Privacy should be built into, uh, the obvious one I didn't state, IT. Uh, These processes that are being built out, products that are being developed, everything along the way should have a privacy mindset or a privacy lens. And the more people that become educated about data privacy, the better off I think all companies will be.
0: Yeah, I think you raised a lot of good points there, and certainly busted some of my own misconceptions. Um, And I'll definitely, I'm a big privacy um, enthusiast, I guess is the word for it. I'm always checking all of my stuff online to make sure all the right settings are checked. So um, I'm definitely going to do more research, as you suggested. But you have a really great and robust academic background. As you mentioned, three degrees from the University of Connecticut. I think you're a proud UConn fan, um, as we all can be, I guess. Um, what's something that you didn't learn in a classroom that you wish you had learned more about?
2: Oh, that is, that is a great question. Um, you know, leadership uh, is something that you don't learn in school from the perspective of um, what it takes to really lead a large organization. I think everybody through education, myself included, may learn about management, how to manage a project, how to manage your time, how to manage different things uh, while you're in school. And you learn that through projects uh, and educational experiences. It wasn't until Goodness, I was working many, many years before I realized that there was a difference between management and leadership. Um, And this concept of intentional leadership versus, um, uh, you know, just managing people or managing issues and really being an intentional leader. So I think one thing that I didn't learn in the classroom that I have been so fortunate to learn from other sponsors and mentors and great uh, experiences, including my executive coach is really what it means to be an authentic leader uh, and really what it means to to lead with empathy and purpose. And that is certainly not something that I learned in the classroom.
0: Another great answer there that I think we can all relate to and something that definitely takes some hands on experience to, to truly master. Our final question is our signature question here on the Health Conscious Podcast. We ask every guest, it's kind of similar to the last one, but what's a tool that you would recommend emerging healthcare leaders add to their toolkits?
2: Make sure you have not just one sponsor, but multiple sponsors. And what I mean by a sponsor is forge relationships in your toolbox should be Uh, said another way, a personal board of directors. Everybody should have a personal board of directors with different people who sit on that, what I'll call call board that can help you along the way at all different crossroads in your career. Uh, You should have somebody or multiple people that you can call at, at the drop of a dime who will drop everything to help you, whether it's to get your foot in the door for a particular opportunity, to get a seat at the table for a critical initiative, whatever that would be, have multiple people, do not rely on just one mentor or one sponsor to do that with you or for you, but have and build a personal board of directors, have that in your toolkit, and it's really a group of people that you can rely on to help you through the bumpy times, because there will be bumping times in your career, uh and with your leadership uh, skills as well as challenges and dilemmas that you may face um, as you start to you know come into your own leadership
0: you know we've heard a lot about mentors on this podcast a lot of people have always recommended them but i've never heard the analogy of getting your own personal board of directors um i think that's a great analogy and it uh certainly makes it sound more official which is always a, a, a pro as well so um, that'll wrap us up on this podcast. Tracy, thank you so much for taking time and speaking with us. I know privacy is a, an important sector of healthcare that is not talked enough about. So we really appreciate you taking time to enlighten us and our listeners about it more.
2: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And make sure everybody to stay tuned for future episodes of Health Conscious.